Welcome to the Cult of Domesticity podcast, where two best friends tell each other stories about history, true crime, and other shenanigans. I'm Courtney. I'm Ashley. It's just the us now. It's I sad. know. I kind of missed it, though. It was fun. Ha- like, it's always fun having people on, but I'm like, oh, I feel like I haven't done anything in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit. Well, little bit. three, because it's your episode, so. But, like, we're entering week three, so it's, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I know. It's weird. Okay. So you don't know what we're doing yet. I don't. I'm excited, though. I saw the topic in the spreadsheet, and I was like, oh, what is this? Are you, first of all, are you feeling better? I, I'm feeling, I mean, I'm on real medication now, so I'm feeling <laughs> better. Um, I might still have some coughs, but You it's look better. better. You look like you have more energy, like, in your yeah. face. Are you feeling better? Yeah. Yep. We've recovered from the plague, mostly. Mostly. You know. It's fine. We're going to talk about the Black Hole of Calcutta. Woo! I'm excited. Is this like, is it like a sinkhole or what is it? Uh, you'll see. It, okay, first of all, is it a literal hole or is it a metaphorical hole? Let's go with that. It is a literal hole. Okay, then I feel a little better. All right. Yeah, it's a literal hole. Because the face you are making, if that was a metaphorical hole, this is going to be a very rough podcast. <laughs> no, that metaphorical black. No, it's a literal hole and I'm going to use... 18th century terms for India, so don't fight me. <laughs> As if I would. This is just for people who would try to fight me. <laughs> um, but this is a colonial 18th century event, so we're going to my thesis time. Though to my thesis time. <laughs> you can't see it, but she's dancing again, <laughs> and it's beautiful. There, are, there is probably more <laughs> dancing in this than most people realize. So much, but it's a good thing. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Caitlin and my mom are going to Austria and taking a Sound of Music tour and hiking the Alps. And Caitlin's whole response is, I am singing the Sound of Music the entire time. <laughs> good. Good. Yep. It'll be good. It's, you only, know. it's only proper that she does. My mom's not thrilled. She'll be okay. The real question is, can Kitty climb the Alps? We're gonna find out. Yep. <laughs> okay. So, before I can talk about the black hole, Ashley, this sounds so <laughs> Sorry, that sounds so wrong, just calling it black hole. Um, I'm going to ask you, how much do you know about the East India Company? Um, not a whole lot. I know that, are they, I feel like they're still around. Are they not? No. No. I know that they were a British shipping import-export thing, and I know that they're in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. <laughs> you are not wrong there. <laughs> they're not the good guys, we'll put it that way. So yeah, East India Company, not nice people, well- debatable as a company not a good force in the world individuals depend and i will at some point do the warren hastings trial because i love it. and it has one of my favorite problematic historical figures in it oh boy another time can't wait okay so the east india company was chartered in 1600 it's a private company given the monopoly by the British over the Indian and Pacific Ocean. So basically, they said, hey, company, you have no other British companies can come and trade over here. This is all your shit. So it's like a monopoly on the entire Eastern Hemisphere. Duh. Excellent. Nothing can go wrong. Nope. Beautiful British planning. Yep. So it's based off this mercantilist idea that's happening at, from 1600s really until we see the switch to more of a capitalist idea. Capitalism and mercantilism are similar. The goals and definitions are different. But basically, mercantilism, there's only so much wealth in the world and you're trying to find the best profit. But the problem with the East India Company and their charter, there is no clear business definition or governing definition of a problem later 
um, as you know, Britain formally incorporates India under the reign of Queen Victoria. Uh, so that basically means when you think of Britain ruling India before, that's a company. A company is ruling a country. Gee, I wonder what that's like. That's probably really fun. Oh, great time. We'll get there. Oh. <laughs> so this company could do all these fun things. Are you ready for it, Ashley? You might want to... Do you want me to brace? Hang on. I'll brace. Clench some things. Clench, Clench some things. Some you're, things. you're bracing yourself? Yeah, I'm going to brace. Good. All right. Ready? Go. They could raise an army. Good. They could govern. Excellent. They could have courts and laws. Nothing, Basically, nothing alarming. they could be a government except for declare war. I, I don't see flaws. Plan. <laughs> this is good. I like it. It's a good business yep. model. Oh, yes. Not so, setting up an oligarchy or anything. Nope. It's fine. And this continues from 1600 until 1858 when it's disbanded. This is a surprising amount of longevity. It's not what I... It's like 200 and some odd years. Oh, yes. Math. I am great at it. <laughs> so this is what India, basically, there are small pockets where the East India Company controls. One of these is Calcutta. They have, uh, they all have a fort. And they're, originally, they just made deals. They were only there to trade. But the black hole of Calcutta SC is an event that causes some changes to how the India Company is governing in India. You look so happy about this. I'm just going to make this face the whole time. <laughs> it's going to be good. Okay. Is it like positive changes to how they govern? You know what? Don't even answer that. I heard it <laughs> as it came out of my mouth and I thought, no, no, it's not. So, I mean, there's so many Indian stories I could tell this podcast. <laughs> we should do an episode that's just India and get my stepmom in on it. She goes there a lot. Uh, it depends. You could, I mean, it's so diverse. You'd have to pick time specific, a lot of civics. It's a this isn't a Western Civ class. <laughs> we don't have a semester. Okay. Ain't nobody got uh, time for that. Nobody got time for that. Um, so, the, this lovely story starts in early 1750. The East India Company uh, is relatively new to the Indian subcontinent, but already has a very successful popular trading base in Calcutta, now Kolkata. Um, but there are French interests in the area, so, you know, their hegemony, one of my favorite. Basically, their dominance over the area is threatened by the French. They're... Basically, they're foe for most of... They don't get along? Weird. No, most of the... Um, I'm going to say from 1000 AD... Question mark? The 20th century. <laughs> century. It's a question mark. They still they're don't really... Now. I mean, they're not going to war, but they're not great friends either. Yeah, basically the 20th is the best we've had in a long time. So, um, the company decides, you know what? We better beef up our security on their main fort. In Calcutta, Fort William, I'm going to tell you there's a lot of British Fort William. A lot. Every. Is it because of William the Conqueror? I'm going to say yes. I'm assuming. There's a lot of Williams in British history. As anyone who listened to the Horrible Histories British King's Queen song knows. That makes sense so, of us. I don't know that one. Are you? I'm sorry. So remember the way that these companies work at the point you only had the company only had control over a small number of strongholds and they basically had to get these uh strongholds through uneasy truth nearby prince states and their nabobs which is a british mispronunciation of the word um it's either spelled n-a-b-o-b-s or one or n-a-w-a-b-s so Welcome to the British messing up all the spellings, messing up all the spellings, messing up all the spellings. <laughs> that was beautiful. Can we get an Thank encore? 
<laughs> maybe later in another one. All right. Um, the, basically, the reason why I cried a lot in my thesis is because of fine place spellings. Maybe so that's how they wanted it. They were like, no one can find it because no one can spell it the same way twice. <laughs> and we decided not to map India until the 1800s because we are assholes. Um, and then they did the Mr. Smithers fingers. <laughs> yes. Okay, so threat of imperial war on the continent of India during what is now the Seven which for those of you who don't know, is also called in America the French and Indian War, which lasts from 74 to 1763. And is basically how France a lot of its empire, but uh, not in, in India, specifically more um, Western. So there's a threat of it, the war breaking out in India. And on top of it, the local ruler, the Nawab of Nawab of Bengal, and I'm sorry for this pronunciation, Sirat Dual, was not pleased with the East India Company interfering with political affairs, especially specifically the internal affairs of province, um, believed that British merchants were undermining his power. Probably not wrong. And he's perceiving the British buildup as a threat to Bengali independence himself. So he orders the immediate session, secession of the reinforcements to Fort William. He's like, stop, stop what you're doing, East India Company, stop. Building up your fort. Like, I see you. Knock it off. How do you think the company reacted? Uh, two fingers salute. Middle fingers oh. in the air. Oh, you, you said two fingers. That's yeah. Why I oh, both of them, you know. Uh, not even that. They just kind of ignored him. Good. We respect the sovereignty of other nations. Yeah, Good job, Empire. So, basically, Sierra organized his army and was like, you gonna ignore me? I'm gonna take your fort. <laughs> so he laid siege to... Fort one. I, like, I drink your milkshake. I take your fort. How many troops did he raise, Ashley? All of them. 50,000 troops, 50 cannons, and 500 elephants. Nailed it. Fuck them. Nailed it. Uh, marched on Calcutta, and by June 19, 1756, most of the local British staff had retreated to company ships to harbor. Basically, safety, because you can sail away. Sail away. <laughs> <laughs> the opposite kind of that's that. different that's an alien abduction song good song though uh sirha's forces are at the gates fort william fort william uh so basically everyone inside the fort is a little screwed and the british commander orders uh their surviving soldier the garrison escape yet there is a uh, 146 soldiers under the civilian command of john zephahana that is not spelled zephaniah yeah, how did you know that one? I think there's a prophet, Zephaniah. Howell. Okay, John Zephaniah Howell, <laughs> who was a senior bureaucrat of the East India Company, um, who, you know, had been a military surgeon. Also, his main job was collecting taxes. So, you know, person you want in charge of this. Yep. Uh, and the fort was in a rather poor state. Powder from mortars was damp. Good. That's how you want it, right? Yeah, I think like damp mud. powder. Yeah. 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 Lights up real easy. Oh, yeah. Super flammable. Oh, yeah. There was also allied Indian troops that they always had. Uh, fuck, I forgot what they're called. Give me a second. Sepoys! Mm-hmm. Sepoys! <laughs> I remember things. <laughs> so, the desertion of allied Indian troops, aka sepoys, which, if you know your British, Imperial, or Indian history, they come up again a lot. Um, 
they they may or may not have had a little rebellion later and caused the East India Company to their over India and had its imperial power. But that's a side point. Um, they def- they basically abandoned the British, leaving Fort Williams open to the Nabab of uh, Bengal forces on June twentieth, seventeen. So basically, they abandoned most of the staff have abandoned it the day before the indian troops abandoned it the next day and it's over they don't say when exactly um the siege starts but it's a pretty short siege what happens to the survivors in the fort you may ask how did you know i was going to ask i'm smart you I'm are super sm- you're super smart you're so <laughs> smart um they were captured and made prisoners of war number and the number is between 64 and uh 69 um oh i have a bad feeling about this (laughs) so and there's also like an unknown number of anglo indians who had sheltered inside the fort. so what happens next is mainly known from uh howell's account and get ready for an 18th century title, Ashley. Are you ready? It's going to be so racist. No, it's just going to be so long. You remember oh. my thesis. I had a footnote where I saw the first time I cited one of my sources. It was, I think, six lines long. <laughs> and I got told, no, you can shorten that because that's ridiculous. <laughs> okay. Hit me with those ancient hashtags. A genuine narrative of the deplorable deaths of the English gentlemen and others who were suffocated in the black hole in Fort William at Calcutta in the kingdom of Bengal in the night exceeding the 20th day of June, 1756. It's only three so, lines long. One sentence. A, how is there any possible story left to tell after including it all in the title? B, this all went down on my birthday. If it's the night after the 20th. Hey. Happy birthday, Ashley! You're- Happy birthday! As part of the anniversary of just everyone probably dying. Do you want to know what anniversary is on my birthday? You've told me this before. Hang on, I don't remember. I know you've told me. My thirteenth birthday was the landing of Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans. That's it. Why was I thinking Oklahoma City? Uh, That's no, not right. And every like sometimes it still happens, but for like at least a couple years after, my siblings never said happy birthday to me. They wished me a happy anniversary of Trina. <laughs> if you want to know why my sense of humor is the way it is, that is my family. That is my family. Okay, so let's get into Howell's accounts. And this was published after the fact, so and basically becomes a sensation and a rallying cry in the UK. So it's the Alamo for the yes. UK. Yes, before the Alamo. Before the Alamo. It is, I would say it's more a Lexington and Concord than the Alamo. Okay. So, um, Howell met with Sirha Duala, the Nabab, remember, mm-hmm. who assured him, this is a quote from source, um, on the word of the, a soldier that no harm should come to us. So, basically, he's like, you guys aren't, we're not going to kill you. We're going to treat you as well as respectfully as prisoner of, of war get treated. Um, also, I couldn't find the full... There's a Google, Google Books has the full, uh, I think, narrative, mm-hmm. and I will share it in the source if you want to read it. Um, also, the easiest way to get to it is actually through Wikipedia page because they cite it, because um, that's how I found it. So after seeking uh, a place of fort to confine the prison, at 8 p.m., the jailers locked the prisoner uh, fort's prison, a black hole in soldiers slaying small room that measured, get ready for this, Ashley. Uh, I knew it. I knew. As soon as you said prisoners of war, I was like, oh, no, no, no. All right. Hit me with the measurements. It's going to be tiny. (laughs) 4.3 meters by 5.5 meters or 14 feet by 18. (laughs) I was going to say, can you translate that to American? (laughs) Yeah. 
Okay, but how many people did they shove into the Indian equivalent of our slightly bigger dorm room? Remember, they have um, between 64 and 69. It was too small for two of us, and they put 60-some-odd people. They don't have things. They don't have things. Still. mm, I'm trying to think of a good good mental image. Sardines. Sardines. Go to the picture. Um, So, listeners, if you go um, either to the YouTube video where it'll be up or our Facebook, it'll be the picture. Um, we have pictures of uh, Noaba Bengal and um, John Zeph. Yeah, so you're looking. So we have our two main leaders. And then if you go to the next one, it's a picture um, <clears throat> of the size of the hall and there's someone standing outside of it. Yeah, that is not big enough for six people. That's not big enough for 30 people in a long board. Okay, don't go to the next. Okay, so <clears throat> the the next morning when the hole was open at 6 a.m., so they're put in at 8, mm-hmm. so they're almost in there 12 hours, um, only about 23 of the prisoners alive. Yeah. However. Wonder why. Uh, historians offer a number of, like, uh, different numbers for prisoners in casual war. Stanley Wolpert reported that uh, 64 people were imprisoned, 21 survived. D.L. Pryor reported 43 of the garrison were either missed or dead for reasons other than suffocation shock. Um, Bastide reports that many of the non-combatants present for, uh, was captured makes it infeasible to get a precise, precise number. Um, and Howell basically says the reason for the deaths uh, uh, were maltreatment. Um, and it was, quote, it was the result of revenge and resentment of breast lower jimadars or sergeants to whose custody we were the number for the number of their order were killed during each end quote. Um, so the next there is a picture of like next two pictures uh, showing basically um, uh, of what they viewed the treatment like they didn't weren't given. Basically, they said they weren't given water. There's only a small like a small window, so they couldn't get a lot of air. Um, so there are I found pretty cartoons drawings of what they that what it was like. So basically. Bunch of men packed into a room, not really, like, really standing room only, not given, a, there's not a lot of air in there. The jail was really only meant for petty criminals, so it wasn't expected to be that full. Um, so some people suffocated, some people were already wounded and stuff. And they said, like, the, the ones who could see out said that the officer, the Indian office, were taunting them by water and stuff. Like that. Concurring with Howell, Wolpert said that Sarah well did not order the imprisonment and did and was not informed so basically he count he's like yes they were in prison but the nawab wasn't really informed of the conditions of so this is how howell describes the black hole the dungeon was a strongly barred room and was not intended to find of more than two or three men at a time there was only two windows and a projecting veranda outside with thick iron bars then to impede ventilation while fire is raging in parts of the suggested an atmosphere so there's smoke it's kind of like um it's india during the summer so it's already hot mm-hmm. on top of it so uh he also describes that the prisoners were packed so tightly that the door had trouble clothing clo- uh, had trouble closing so uh, i'm trying to think of a more modern day that is i mean the only other thing i could think of that sounds similar is the the trains going to constant camps uh during world War. yeah if you've mm-hmm. ever read any of the accounts they it's pretty similar there's not a lot of ventilation you don't get a lot of food or water so many people in a small space that they can't door yeah yeah not good so what they Paolo reports that uh 
They tried to bribe one of the soldier stations. The veranda was offered a thousand rupees, which is a pretty good bribe um, to have them removed to a larger room. And he went away to figure it out and returned saying, no, he can't. Um, they doubled the bribe to 2,000. He made a second attempt, but um, the the same result, as well as the Nawab was, Nawab was asleep and no one really wanted to wake him to be like, hey, we should probably move him to a bigger room. Um, so according to Howell's accounts, by nine o'clock, several had died. Many more were delirious. Basically, you're either suffocating from lack of air. You're also probably suffering dehydration, um, a bit of starvation. You're just generally weak and you most likely can't sit. So it's just getting better. And now people scattered throughout are starting to pass away. Yeah. So like scattered throughout like the world's worst kind of sprinkles are just dead bodies. Well, you're welcome. Um, so a frantic cry for water now became general and one of the guards, more compassionate than his fellow, caused some water to be brought to bars, uh, where, uh, Mr. Howell and two or three others received it in their hats, drank it and passed it on to men behind them. But in their impatient to cure it, everyone only got a little bit drink and it only makes you thirstier, you know? Yeah. That's why if you're ever in a heat stroke situation or any situation where you're really thirsty, you have to sip mm-hmm. and you have to continually sip because if you chug it, You'll make yourself sick and make it worse. So just imagine you're thirsty. You're so thirsty. You start like trying to drink. Literally it drinking it out of a hat. Yeah. And so people lose self. Like basically they start to lose it because they're so thirsty and they need water. Um, those at the edge of the room start trying to push towards the window. So having a trampling session also happen. Um, and the weakest were trampled or pressed. You know what that reminds me of? A couple of things, actually. The first thing that comes to my mind is, do you remember when we were little and there was that nightclub in Rhode Island that caught on fire? I think it was Rhode Island. And, like, people were trying to get out, but they didn't have enough exits. There's only, like, one door. I mean, I believe it. Also, the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire. But yeah. that's that was because doors were locked. That's a different. But yeah, so I mean, this kind of, again, going back to the Holocaust example, the Nazis were known to kind of throw either food or like certain supplies in and wanting to watch the prisoners fight for it. So it's not a pretty picture. Uh, so people, Howell just said, said they raved, they fought, they prayed, they blasphemed, and then many fell exhausted onto the floor where suffocation put them. So, and this is all going on throughout the night. So this is during the night and mind you it's cooler at night so imagine how horrible this would have been if they were in there during the day yeah probably ended a lot faster if they were in there during the day yeah because the higher mortality rate but so by 11 o'clock uh hal describes that prisoners begin to fall off pretty fast people start dropping um sorry my thought is you know what maybe just kind of move all the dead bodies to one side so yeah. you have a little more room it sucks but make a really gross pyramid yeah by six in the morning when sarah awoke uh he ordered the doors to be open and of and then this is howell's numbers of the 146 only 23 including mr howell and i just from whose narrative published in the annual register uh 758 the account is partly arrived uh remained alive and they were either stupefied so basically they're just kind of like zombies or they're raving because by this they're point they're probably just, all in shock yeah mentally and physically yeah. in shock and anyone who's ever been physically in shock knows it's hard to fight that. You can, but it's it's real hard. <laughs> Speaking of someone who has done it, mm-hmm. but I refuse to pay for an ambulance because <laughs> American ambulances are ridiculous. Um, so basically, they opened the door and that revived a lot of people, just fresh air. Mm-hmm. Um, so they took Howell, the commander for the Wab, who, and remember, again, critically, Howell's account of what happened. Do not have the side of story. Um 
Sira expressed no regret for what it and gave no other sign of the other than ordering a chair and a glass of water. I'm like, give that man a gallon of water and a glass to drink. Come on. <laughs> I'm like, give him a glass so he sit by himself that way. Um, Powell and some others quit of any attention of causing this catastrophe, and they basically put it up the malice of the lower office. Um, most people think is it unfounded. Basically, they had the power over these Englishmen who is invading their country, you know, and they've seen, like, the lower officers would have seen more on a day-to-day basis what was happening on the ground between right. the English and the other people. Um, afterwards, the prison of Fort was open, the corpses of the dead men were thrown in a ditch, and the um, prisoners were transferred to Mashinabad. So, Powell and the others still remain prisoners, but they just got moved to, and he does describe his butt. We can assume that they were a little better. Uh, I mean... From what I've read about uh, the Indian uh, Nawab's prisoner of war camps, they're not horrible. I mean, they're not great by any not means, ideal. but I know prisoner of war camps, jails are, um, as we learned from Andrew Jackson. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. Uh, Howell eventually does get freed because, or at least his story gets out back to England because it reaches London. He basically made it seem like this situation was an imperial tragedy because he made himself out to be a hero. And remember, what do we know Howell did before that? My mind was so blown by the dimensions of that thing that, like... You forgot everything before? Pretty much, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I'm still hung up on 60-some-odd people in our dorm room. Yeah. I can't. Oh. It's a little bigger than our dorm room was, but yeah. Still. still. Um, so, main job was tax collecting, and uh, he it suggested he was a military surgeon earlier. Right. So, so this man p- portrayed himself a hero in the situation. And he was really probably a little bit closer to being counter. And it, again, it shows Britain like to show uh, India as this corrupt ideal, and it wasn't, mm-hmm. but it was this exact, not going to get into Oriental. <laughs> You could do it. Free, I'll, Hold I'll on to your control. Little, you could do it. A little bit. I'll do a little bit. Okay. Um, basically, Orientalism is developing in this time period in the ideals of Europeans. That's why the Middle East is called the Middle East. And like China, that is called the Far East. So and like Turkey, and that is the Near East. It's near to Europe. Hence. But the Europeans had this exotic kind of view of uh the these countries and these people so it was also viewed as more corrupt because they didn't understand their system and they just interpreted europe a european super condescending super condescending and i mean the people who did try to learn it's still condescending but they i'm like i give them credit for trying yeah Yeah. so that's why you have this idea of like the harem as a bunch of failed women just for like the sultan's pleasure that's not actually how it was was lot that's where the families grew up and stuff mm-hmm. like that and it kind of transfers over to india where they have a very misrude idea and they want to put it into their terms so it goes the news goes back to london and they see these to them inferior people defeating a british fort mind you this is happening in the midst of the seven year war so it's a little dart to the imperial armor and they are not going to take it so uh, a relief expedition led, led by Robert Clive, who is the, I can't remember if he's the governor or what the exact term, I think they just went with commander. Basically, Robert Clive is the head of the India company in India right now, mm-hmm. because it takes so long at that point. It's about three months to get a ship back. In. So the board in London, by the time their orders get to India, it's like, it's like a really bad game of telephone, because by the time they give stuff, everything has already changed drastically in that six months. 
because um, it's too hard to go for land India. But there is a really, really fun Victorian board game. Uh, it's called Over... So there's a really fun board game called The Overland Mail. And I believe you can find it all online. But it uh, you have to uh, basically play to get from England to India um, and all the troubles and stuff that you have by going over land. Because after a while, they were able to get railroad methods that were a little quicker. So this is, but this is a uh, hundred years after our tale. You're entering Victorian board game. Sort of like a game of life, except for it's like one trip. Yeah, and I believe it's a, it's like, it's more like the Oregon Trail, except for it's, I think, easier <laughs> to die. <laughs> Just everyone dies of dysentery. Uh, I think if you're in, you can die of being eaten by a crocodile in India. Because I, this was from a class that I sat in on and had an independent study with, so I helped teach sometimes. So I was watching the kids play the game. And it was really funny because some people were like, well, did anyone make it to India in some groups? No, like there's like groups of four people and no one made it. <laughs> but yeah, so Robert Clive, like big man of India, basically made British India, um, arrived in Calcutta in October. He puts siege to the fort and it falls to the British in January. It is wrong. Okay, so he, he basically reclaims fort in January 17th. And uh, so that means that Hal and all those, they're basically dear. more More importantly, what do you think ends up happening after? And so we have a net, like an imperial wound, the British heart in India. Clive manages to retake Calcutta. What do you think is going to happen? I'm going to tell you what's not going to happen. He's not going to overreact. Everything will be subtle and settled. It will be fine. It's going to be great. He's going to be really level-headed. No, you know, martial law type things happening. Oh, yeah. It's going to be ideal, I think is the word I'm looking for. Ideal. You are correct in that he did overreact. And in June of 17, 17, uh, seven, <laughs> uh, Robert Clive and a force of 3,000 men defeated the Nawab of Bengal, 50,000 strong at the Battle of Plassey. Have you heard of the Battle of Plassey, Ash? I have. I don't remember, though. Okay. So anyone who has had any imper- British imperial history um, or any world history would know as the start of the large-scale colonial rule of the British in India until it's independent in 1940. Basically, Bengal was the biggest, uh, the bigger states that they were able to get control over. Uh, the result of losing this battle, Sira was overthrown as Nawab of Bengal and killed. And I believe the British someone who they could base control in his place. Um, what? Puppets ate? What? That doesn't sound like them. This shows that there was a, a this shows that there was an imperial victory over corrupt India. It wasn't corrupt, but just not the British way of doing things. Um, really, the outcome of the Battle of Plassey, um, which, oh, back to the Battle of Plassey, um, because the battle really turned around. Sorry, I'm like reading my old notes mm-hmm. as I'm doing this. Um, so the Battle of Plassey really meant to punish uh, Sira, the Nawab, um, because he had teamed up with the French and his second-in-command, Jafar. Yes, Jafar. I'm not going to uh, do it. You're not going to make me sing <laughs> Disney songs this time. So Clive convinces Jafar, the second-in-command, to uh, just not show up. <laughs> and that's how they really won it. And then they look, Jafar, this is so kind of here. And just be grateful to us. Um, but yeah, so the outcome is India starts to be controlled more and more by the British. Um, they implement themselves really uh, in 1765. It's formalized where in the treaty cannot fucking my hand. 
Class notes are so fun. Class are so um, battle or uh, the Treaty of of Alabad, uh, which put the British instead of the Nawabs in charge of the Diwani, which is all the Indian tax. So they get exclusive. The British get exclusive rights to collect taxes and de facto control over Bengal. And this is why you know India was the. This is why we know when people would go to India in the later half of the 18th century, you had these. They called them Nabobs when they came back because they were Englishmen that came back. Went. They might have not been super wealthy. They're like middle sons of uh, aristocrats or whatnot, and they came back super rich. Because they were collecting the Diwani, they were collecting taxes and stuff like that. Okay. So this is really when Britain starts super rich off of India, besides just, um, you know, trade, the cotton and all of that. And there's so many and other fun Great stories. Britain exploiting add. their colonies does not sound like them at all. I don't believe I it. Know, right? I don't believe it. No. So additionally, the Black Hole of Calcutta was later turned into a warehouse for later wars. Um and they warehouse for what it's not big enough to store anything i mean if it's for during war you could you know you need some ammunition mm-hmm. stuff like that okay just places yeah, for supplies sense. uh so there is you can go to a memorial of the sub uh 70 ish troops that supposedly died in 76 there's an obelisk a graveyard in Kolkata, india which modern day calcutta you know when you try to go back to the original names after <laughs> someone heard it for a century it's fine um so Powell actually recorded a lot of the men who died that they they believe died in the the hole. So um, it those names are on the mo- uh, monument in Calcutta. So I've given you a story based on one source, and Ashley, you know how I feel about that. You how love do I it because I do it every other week. <laughs> it's your favorite thing. Uh, <laughs> you must be dying inside a little bit right now. Yeah. So. We know the after effects of this event is published work. And we do know that Fort William was overtaken by the Indian troops and the Nawab of Bengal. But there are no other contemporary sources that corroborate corroborate Howell's story. And Howell has been found to be fabricating other incidents of similar controversial nature. So, unreliable narrator. Your second favorite thing. (laughs) Uh... You know, <laughs> not as much in this period. I am okay with it. A lot of my sort of lower class individuals, so collaborate, cooperate, cooperating them was a, was difficult at points. But the fact that he's continually caught, yeah, with his pants on fire, <laughs> salty drink coffee makes many question how much of this. Um, many historians question the accuracy of the position and perhaps that his account, uh, his account might have been mere exaggeration or fake imagination. Because at this time, publishing is booming in the UK and all over Europe. So you could send tales back. Hence how I have my most of my thesis Mm -hmm. of travel accounts. Um, And so and more people are able to read as schools become more popular. And it's easier for people of variety of levels to get educated. Um, There on top of that, uh, some people doubt whether or not you could actually fit in that dimension of this this uh, source says it's 24 by 8 feet, but still, like a small a small room probably um, couldn't cram more than about 65 prisoners into that space because mm-hmm. they know where it, they know where it is. Mm-hmm. Like funny enough, I was when I was doing research. I uh, the modern day location is actually it's a garbage pit now. People dump trash there, and I can I will you know what for fun I'll just include that in there. You know. Um, People debate if they if people had died in the pit in the black hole of Calcutta, um, it probably would have been all at the same time because 
you know, if there's limited air, everyone's going to run out of air relatively similarly, like at the same time and not individually. Um, unless, Ashley, what do you think this unless is? Uh, I'm sure you're about to tell me. I'm really not good with being put on the spot today. <laughs> Murder. Murder. Uh, yeah, unless Hal and the survivors strangled the other safe air. That's dark. I mean, <laughs> this whole thing is dark. Yeah, but that um, is darker. Yeah, so basically, you know, even though there was air coming in, they, ba- they would have to have strangled, like, killed a couple people to survive. Um, so really, I love the I love description. Um, and I believe it's from... So ThoughtCo had a good article on this, and they had my favorite script of how I cement. Um, quote, the story of the Black Hole of Calcutta could actually be one of history's greatest scams, along with the bombing of the battleship of battleship Maine in Havana Harbor, the Gulf of Tonkin incident, and Saddam Hussein's punitive weapons of mass destruction. So basically, this could all be fake. How do you feel? Not great. <laughs> I was expecting a fun sinkhole story. Not gonna lie. Yeah, not a sinkhole. Not a sinkhole. Probably stinky, though. If it was real, yes. Yeah. Probably very stinky. There corpse there, and it was hot, mm-hmm. so very stinky. That's why always make sure at your house and make- <laughs> Don't leave dead bodies in there. It's fine. I uh, get mine out. So now, it's not a podcast corner week. It's review corner. So if you write a review of the podcast, if you like us, you kind of like us, write a review. If you're, um, we really only get the ones on iTunes. So if you... We get the ones on Facebook too, but anything outside of those. Send it to us. We'll read them. We appreciate it. Send us your criticism. It's fine. We're tough. We can handle it. Like I said, my siblings have made fun of me for, what, 25 years? Why start having people be nice to me now? <laughs> Ashley, would you like to start it? I would, because then I get to do number three, and I know. Um, so the I know him! I know. The first one is the Prove It podcast from the United States. So thank you. The second one is Kate from Ignorance, Ignorance is Bliss in the United States. Hey, Kate! Hi! Thank you for the key. Yes, please. Oh, tune in. It's a great podcast. So good. Number three is my bratty little sister. I don't know who I'm going to say her last name, um, but it's Amber. Uh, the next one is from Marguerite. Thank you very much. And the last one is Morgan. Thank you. I'm going to go ahead and say it's Morgan Mushroom because I don't think her last name is actually Mushroom. No, it's not. So I feel okay with that. So thank you all for yeah. the reviews and everyone who's left them before. We appreciate you greatly. And don't forget, we will, once a month, we tell you how much we appreciate you. So. Yes. We appreciate Thank you. Very much. <laughs> How much do we appreciate you? So much. So much. So All much. the much. Yes. Very much. Okay. Much. So thank you for listening to the Cult of Domus City podcast. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Chorus, Spotify, YouTube, and Podbean, and so many other places. If we are not on your preferred app, first of all, how are you still? Like, I'm very confused by this. Please let us know. Um, uh, but let us know which app you want us on to fix that. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen uh, to help spread the word. And, you know, maybe just share us with a friend. You're on a long car trip. Just make all of the car trip us. It's fine. We appreciate you. <laughs> Check us out on Facebook and Twitter at Domestic Podcast and at The Cult of Domesticity on Instagram to get the episode tip-off, recipe of the week, and additional information about the week's topic. You can also find our podcast merch on Threadless by searching for The Cult of Domesticity. And if you're feeling particularly generous, we set up a tip jar on PayPal. Finally, to suggest a recipe or topic, email us at domesticpodcast.com. Don't forget that we're taking part in the Pods a Day uh, indie podcast campaign this month. 
So you should definitely go check it out if you're looking for new podcasts, different podcasts. They do an amazing job finding new, different ones. Into I've added, I don't need more podcasts, but I keep adding more every time I see them. <laughs> also, some of our pod friends are on it as well. So, so go over and support them. Uh, oh, if you are interested in missing my voice at some point, I was on this week's episode of Relic uh titled uh it's episode 23 adventurous women i highly suggest the podcast i know we've had the promo on before maxwell did a great job and really we had too much fun too much fun recording that so uh make sure to check that out um yeah and if you want to remember if you want to suggest any topics really i mean we're always game for a new topic we'll shout you out uh send them to us yes are you ready ashley for some high fives i am ready for a high five ready (laughs) 